0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another week of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. Uh, my name is Joe Marjolina and joining me again this week, former football coach in the Granite State, Mike Lachman. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Good morning, Joe. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. Um, you know, I just, it's funny, I just said tonight, and uh, normally we we record this, uh, you know, like 8 or 9 o'clock on, on Mondays, uh, but um, this week, with uh, with a lot of other sports being done, we're going a little bit earlier except for the fact that uh, it pretty much looks like 8 or or 9 o'clock at night outside right now. And uh, I don't know about you, but I I always get really annoyed the first, like, week or so of daylight savings uh, in the fall. Um,
1: Oh, yeah, I think really annoyed, to put it lightly. I mean, I just came (laughs) back from picking my son up. I was driving on the road at, like, 545. It was dark. You could see the moon. You could see, like, the stars (laughs) and everything. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, we were, you know— just a week ago, you could be out practicing, and it would still be light out. I know, I this know. Is, It's pitch black, and I know it happens every year. I, still, I, I don't I care, care, though. I, do, I, I don't get can... used to it no, any easier, no. no matter how long
0: I've been alive. It's, it, its uh, its yeah. It, it, the, the next, I mean, like, I, I, you know, this time of year, I love holidays. Um, you know, ha- Halloween's my favorite, um, you know, but I love Thanksgiving and Christmas, too. Yeah. Um, you know, football. Obviously, there's just so much going on this time of year that's that's really enjoyable, and it's all done in pitch black. Like, wh- why do we have to do this? Like, why do we still do this? Uh, it just it's it's really it's really annoying. Um, wanted to get yeah. that, wanted to get that off my chest. I'm sure I'm sure you did too. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it makes <laughs> you
1: feel better. <laughs> but you know, it's funny because it, it actually it does affect football a little bit, right? I remember. Uh, you know, I mean, not every school has lighted practice fields. And so, I, you know, I remember as you would head into the playoffs at some of the schools that I was at where you didn't have lighted practice fields, you either had to hope that the game field was available and there wasn't some other thing going on on the game field, right, like a soccer oh, right, right. playoff yeah, game or something, yeah. right? Yeah. You, could either, you had to either hope that you could get on the game field to have practice where you could turn the lights on, or I remember there were a couple times at Hollis, for example, where we had to bring in rented lights <laughs> j- just to have Did practice, it? right? Because otherwise, you're wrapping up practice at like, you know, four thirty or something, right? It starts to get too dark to operate at that point, right? To to be safe. Uh, so it's got. I, I would imagine it's got to affect some some teams that don't have access to a lighted field.
0: Yeah, you got to you got to be more efficient with your time. If not.
1: Yeah, really efficient, like start early, end early kind of stuff and, and, and be shorter, which I guess this time of year probably is not a bad idea anyway, right? I mean, you're not going to get that much better with longer practices at this point. It's just sort of game plan polish and making sure you understand tendencies and things like that, but still.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, uh, we got to, we, I, I derailed us right from the start there. Uh, so as always, you can send us questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or on Twitter at NHHSports. Uh, you can listen to the show. Uh, we're going to be doing this for, for uh, three more weeks after today. Uh, so listen to us every, every Tuesday morning at nh-highschoolsports.com. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue doing shows through the playoffs and then have one kind of uh, show to wrap up the entire season um, at the end. So uh, keep uh, you know looking out for those. Um, and yeah, this week we've got um, we got quite a bit to talk about here uh, because there were some uh, pretty it was a pretty good weekend of, of playoff football, um, I think, you know, around the state throughout the divisions. Uh, a couple of games you know, that were a little one-sided, um, but especially in uh, in Division one, um, some games that were, were very entertaining, uh, came right down or close to the end or, or um, you know, maybe the, the scores don't show them in some ways or, or it didn't feel like it in some ways. But, you know, I, I think two of the three games that I was at, I felt like, you know, there was a chance for the team that was behind to, to come back and certainly in that Exeter-Bedford game. Uh, but I, I actually want to start um, with the game uh, that was actually the last one played Saturday night uh, between Salem and Bishop Girton. Uh, because there were some things in that game that um, it 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 had a weird feel to it overall to begin with, uh, but some things that happened in that game that you that you hardly ever see uh, in 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 football, and um, you know that one was a a sixty one thirty one win by Salem, which it's like man, I I can imagine there's some people that look at that and say man, Salem put up sixty one points, why did they you know why did they keep going? They kept going because you know not that that BG ever got closer than i think it was maybe well first off BG kept make going for two and making it so despite the fact that they weren't scoring as many touchdowns they they by the time they got to 3 they'd already kind of made up for you know it was almost like they'd had the uh, you know had a couple an extra you know couple points there uh, right so it was a closer like it was instead of being maybe like a four or five score game it was like a three or four score game and in the second half, Salem was kind of leaving the door open. BG went for an onside kick to open the half, got it, but didn't score off that. Salem fumbled on its next drive, and BG recovered, couldn't score off that. So there were opportunities to, like, get back in the game, and they just couldn't, they couldn't do it, and then they couldn't stop Salem either. Um, You know, I had him for over 500 yards rushing. Uh, Aiden McDonald had probably one of the Highest rushing games I think I've seen in person. I had him over 340 yards, six touchdowns, and then the one thing uh, that I mentioned there that you never see was a a 99 yard touchdown run. That yeah, leading up to it, I was like, I, I I'm like this this is going to happen. You could just feel it coming. BG got off a nice punt from about from midfield. They downed the ball at the one, um, you know, and if you remember back to the regular season game. There was a situation too where Salem started a drive at its one-yard line and ended up getting, uh, BG ended up getting a safety on it. So before the play, Salem takes a timeout, kind of sets things up, regroups. It's like basically don't do that again. They come out and McDonald just went right down the middle of the field uh, for that touchdown run. And and uh, I'll tell you this: that is actually not the longest play I've ever seen in a high school football game, if you can believe that. I did not think it's longer than that. Yeah. Well, so, I I actually, I went back and looked this up when I got home Saturday night. Uh, In 2011, I saw a uh, Londonderry-South football game at Stelos. Uh, South was up big. Fourth quarter, Londonderry's driving, going into score. And a a kid fumbles the ball at the goal line. The ball bounces into the end zone right to uh, a South kid who happened to be, like, one of their, like, big track kids. And he scooped up the ball and just took off. Uh, down the other way was outran everyone by about thirty yards because everyone no one, by the time everyone realized what was going on, he was already, you know, at, at the thirty going out. Right. Um A hundred and one yard fumble return for a touchdown.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: That I that that actually happened ten years ago. Um,
1: yeah, I was going to ask you. It must have been like a pick or a, yeah. or a fumble recovery uh, in the end zone or something. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything over 97 yards, and that was in a game I was coaching in 2001. We we had the, the um, uh, a kid in our backfield that was a Gatorade Player of the Year that year, and he went for uh, a 97 yard run right up the middle in the in the Turkey Bowl against Sauhegan when I was at Merrimack, um, and that was that's probably one of the longest plays I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. And well, you know, what's funny is it's actually the second 90 yard, 90 plus yard run I've seen this year, too. Because uh, there was one uh that the regular season game between uh Laconi and Kearsarge I went to, there was a 90 yard touchdown run in that, too. Yeah. Um, and now that I think about it, I might have I think it was another 90 yard one run. But I I've, so I've seen a handful of these, but never not 99 yards like right on the dot. Um so that was um you know that was a very uh, pretty exciting play and and Salem had a couple touchdowns like that where it was just like once these kids got going um, you know they, they just did a tremendous job all around you know the running backs uh, you know were physical um, Salem's line and receivers got out and blocked like you would not believe so that every time that the backs did get kind of around the end there was just no one there to tackle them Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I I, I saw that, uh, the, or the other thing was, I, I think I texted you about this. Um, there was a penalty on Salem for aiding the runner. Uh, and I wouldn't know that's what it was, except for the fact that I was close enough to the official that I could hear him say it, because the gesture that he made looked like a sideline warning. Yeah. And I heard him say aiding. and I And what it was was, you know, there was a pile, and a couple of kids came up, from Salem came up behind the pile and pushed the pile, and uh, there was um, you know, was standing on the BG sideline, and there was a a young man from BG who was like, what What is that? Like, what are, What do are they do? Like, what was that call? And I said, Well, you're not allowed to push the pile. He's like, But we do that all the time. I'm like, right. No, no one ever calls it. Uh, so I, I I've never seen that before.
1: That's a weird call though, because I, I thought that the rules on that changed a year or two ago and aiding became more about you can't actually grab like you can't grab the runner and use your force to push him forward
0: i mean there might have been some of that uh but it was i mean it was definitely clear that that's what they were trying to do yeah but so it was definitely a blatant like we're gonna push the pile I don't know if anybody grabbed onto the runner and, and move and like moved them forward though. I mean, it could have, I mean, it was a, it was a big pile. Um, yeah. So that could have happened, but it was.
1: I've, I've seen that kind of thing a ton in the last couple of years, not get called. And, and again, I, I thought it was due to a rule change a a, a a definition change on what aiding the runner was. You know, you can, you could even get behind directly behind a runner and drive if it's you know like a quarterback sneak or a, you know, a fullback dive on a on a short yardage kind of thing or whatever, right? But I think the one thing you couldn't do was, like, I can't almost, like, wrap you up. Right. With My <laughs> and arms drag, and, like, try to, like, along. drag you forward or, like, grab you under the pads if I'm in front of you and try to pull you forward. <laughs> Those are the things you see more get called for aiding these days. But, yeah, that's an interesting call.
0: Well, I've never seen anything get called for aiding any day. Uh, right. So that was – I mean, it was – yeah. It But like I said, it was kind of – it. the game had a, a – a surreal feeling to it, I think, you know, because again, going back to that regular season game, they, they they played a scoreless first half, uh, in that game, you know, and then it changed, like, on, as I mentioned on the safety that BG had, the game changed, and BG was able to get, um, a lead that Salem couldn't come back from. Well, in this game, you had BG go right down the field on its first drive and score and take an eight, eight nothing lead. Um, and Salem came right back, three plays, bang, scored, and it's eight seven. They make Beachy go three and out, and bang, they go get another touchdown, and it's fourteen to eight. And then we're just rolling. Um, Salem scored right. on all six of their possessions in the first half.
1: Well, so, it's like you said, there's a lot of things that that you don't typically see, and you know, you highlighted a couple of them: the ninety-nine yard run, the aiding the runner. I think some of the other things you ought to—I would imagine you referring to. I mean, especially for a playoff game, you don't usually see sixty-some odd points get hung. No, no, no. You know, I mean, usually by that time of the season, it's hard—it's hard to come by that kind of yardage, right? And the the matchups, even if it's a a one versus eight type of thing or something, I mean, you're playing a quality team, um, so that's certainly something you don't see much of in the playoffs—is is that many points put put on the board and then. Um, and then just the, the the rushing performance from um from Aiden I mean that's what did you say he finished with
0: 30341 I, I want to say is what I had
1: I think I'd have yeah and in front and, of me, right? and you had written that Salem set a a school record for what nine rushing touchdowns in one game
0: yeah three uh, McDonald had 341 they had 576 as a team. Probably even more amazing is that, that they averaged thirteen yards a carry.
1: Yeah, and what was most of that, Joe? Was it mostly um, just getting outside, or were they were they varying up yeah. where they or, were attacking? I mean, VG? They
0: were they were running up the middle, but they weren't getting. But most of those yards did come on on out on outside runs. Uh, yeah, because they were they were just they were getting to the point of attack faster, and yeah. when they got there, they were more physical. And it just, yeah, when I've
1: yeah. seen them in the past, they're really good at, like, sort of outflanking defenses very quickly on the perimeter, whether it's formations or just, you know, a, a really quick, like, rocket-toss pitch outside or something. And then they just they get—it's it, almost like running what the spread teams run their the quick screens and stuff, right? It's almost like that, where it, you just get one really good athlete out on the perimeter against— whoever you've got out there and if you're just if you get just enough blocking on those guys he's gone it's gonna be a big chunk of yards
0: uh, you, you ask um, you know what how did what other playoff teams give up 60 points in a playoff game and I apologize if this sounds like piling on but uh, I just wanted to check this because I thought I remembered this correctly uh, in 2016 BG also lost a playoff game to Nashua North 64 uh, 41 uh, hmm so that was another, and that was a North team that had. I, I'm blanking on names, but um, they had a bunch of running backs in that game in that that season that were same kind of backs that Salem has—guys that ran physical, guys that were fast. Um, so it ha- it's it's happened before uh, to, to yeah. BG, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, for Salem, I mean, it's been—you know—Coach um, Abraham said after the game, you know, he, that uh, when they started out the year, one and two. You know, everybody was acting like the sky was falling and that they were you know they were in real trouble, which I mean you know they kind of they when they when they lo- lost that game uh or excuse me when they couldn't play that game the following week against Alvern, you know things looked a little dicey for them if they weren't gonna if they didn't take the turn that they did, but they they did they got that upset of Londonderry a couple weeks ago um that kind of that solidified that playoff spot uh, and now they get to go. To Londonderry next week for a semifinal game after uh, the Lancers take out uh, Pinkerton, um, what twenty three to fifteen in that one, in a game where they just completely shut down Pinkerton's running game. Um, you know, so that'll be um, that'll be kind of an interesting one. I don't think there's been too many occasions where you know teams meet in the semifinals and the home team, at least not under this this format in Division One where the home team lost to the team that's coming in to play them. Right. Yeah, so, and and kind of an interesting turn there, too, where now, you know, Pinkerton, you know, had so many wins in a row. What Was it like 21, 19, 20, 21 wins in a row there against Londonderry? And, uh, And now Londonderry's taken the last five. Yeah, that's that's an interesting swing so yeah that's uh that's one of the d1 semifinals uh coming up on on Saturday uh, Salem at Londonderry for a uh, one o'clock kickoff um and then you know the other one uh, will be Exeter at wincountant also one o'clock kickoff on Saturday and um you know what was probably one of the you know uh one of the two games of the week there was that Exeter Bedford game uh that I was also, Fortunate to go see because that was an after Saturday afternoon game. Um, you know, I thought you know, Exeter scores to go up 21 6 on the last play of the third quarter, and I thought you know, Bedford was done for. Um, you know, I I thought they not so much because they you know, they weren't going to be able to come back or they couldn't come back, but more they thought they were going to not have enough time, Um, right?
1: The Exeter would just grind, yeah,
0: yeah, they hadn't they you know, outside the first drive or two of the game, they hadn't been able to stop Exeter, you know, when they had such long touchdown ru- uh, drives in that game, um, you know, but then it, it, it was, you know, it, the fourth quarter and then the overtimes were such a uh, kind of roller coaster of momentum where you had, you know, Exeter had all of it at the start of the fourth quarter, Bedford goes on a drive to score, steal some of it back, they get a stop. Um, Exeter tries a fake punt from midfield and, uh, doesn't get it. So Bedford takes a little bit more momentum. They drive down the field again and score again. And it felt like everything was going their way. You know what it reminded me a lot of? Um, the, the semifinal game Bedford had against Merrimack in 2016, where they had the comeback on the, the, at the end of the game, tied that one and sent it to overtime um the biggest difference that was that the
1: one over at bedford
0: that was also at bedford yeah yeah that was another one at bedford um it just that one felt like you know because of um the way bedford had come back in that one that they had all the momentum and they were going to win that game in overtime this one felt like a more of a toss-up especially after they they matched points in the first overtime um you know and and uh bedford coach uh zach matthews had a a great comment afterwards was that, you know, over the rules for overtime where you're starting at the ten yard line. I mean, that's that's Exeter's game, you know. That right. that, that playing in that situation benefits them so much more because of the way they they operate on offense. So that was a yep. yeah tough spot to be in for for Bedford.
1: Yeah, the the uh, NCAA rules are very similar to what the high school rules are, except it's it's at the twenty five yard right. line, and yeah, you have the yeah. opportunity. To get first downs and things, but it's the same kind of idea, right? You have kind of almost like an inning set up. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, it's a good point, right? The 10-yard fight rules uh, don't necessarily benefit, you know, sort of your, your fast-break, spread-offense-type teams because you don't have the space to work with. right? And whereas a, a team like Exeter or even uh, um, an under-center team like, uh, like Pinkerton or, or Salem... Was a little bit more predicated on on running the ball inside. You know that they might have more of an advantage.
0: Yeah, it it felt it was a, it, it was a weird. Um, like I said, I mentioned the momentum swings, but just afterward too. I mean, a team makes a comeback like that. You kind of expect that they are walking out of there the winner, and that that Bedford wasn't. It just it felt it felt strange to me, um, to be honest, um, because you just get that feeling. You know. That kind of comes with the, you know, the crowd gets a little, you know, one side gets a little antsy, the other side gets more amped up, um, you know, but just a, just really a, a great high school football game um, th- that was, I mean, it was a, it was a lot of fun to watch, um, you know, kind of a, a, a bummer I think for us that, um, you know, that that's, um, you know, the Bedford quarterback uh, Joe Michael has been one of the, um, I think, better quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the state this year you know, he's really taken his game to a, a, another level, I think, um, you know, and, and kind of a a bummer for the rest of us that, that, you know, that like to watch the game that he's, you know, his um, high school years have kind of come at this moment where last year, you know, we didn't get to see as much of him, um, you know, he was still developing a little bit, and, and and I guess that goes for a lot of the really, the, the senior class this year too, and, and last year, is it. you um, you know, we just didn't see them as much, um, right? And and I feel like we kind of missed out a little bit there.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to mention that it was that it was Michael's last game and and how accomplished he's been through the career. And yeah, it, it is unfortunate, but um, it, it's one of those things that I always used to tell teams that I was coaching is like, hey, you know, everybody wants to and and scratches and claws to get to the playoffs, and then and it's a great accomplishment to do that, right? But then the tough thing about being a playoff team is that only one of those teams in that field yeah. goes home happy. Yeah. That's it. Everybody else that made the playoffs, you know, <laughs> goes home feeling a little bit deflated. Um, so it's, a, it, it's an interesting little dynamic emotionally, I think.
0: Which is the way it should be, too. I mean, I don't. I'm, we're not. We're not trying to. We're not giving out uh, participation trophies. Uh, no, no,
1: certainly <laughs> not. No. No, but, uh, it, it, but it's definitely one of those things. I think kids, sometimes players don't realize that, you know, a, like yeah, you think,
0: oh, really you know, more, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, you know, and you don't realize like how it, it's really hard to win a playoff game. Yeah. It's incredibly hard to win a championship. Right. That's why it's so special. It, it's it's uh, it's hard enough to make the playoffs. But then, you know, you're you're it, 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 I think it's just it can be very easily overlooked how hard it is to advance. Because you're playing such good competition and everything is more fierce, you know everything's ramped up. It's more emotional. It's just it's, it's what makes it great. But yeah, it's like I said, you 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 it's harder because really good teams go home early,
0: and you know, and there's a, just no way around that. With a game like that, too, um, you know, it just it went so fast, you know, because of some of those longer drives. Um, you know, you just look up and you're kind of like man why like I, why didn't they you know i feel like they could have done this they could have done that but you know and i and i guess the you know the the last d1 game that we have to talk about uh and when it kind of kind of falls in the same category because Goffstown didn't have the ball as much on offense and it's like you can't you know you can't get into some of the things that you you like to do i mean is wh- isn't it i mean i don't know if this is uh, the same in high school but you you know you hear them talk about you know, NFL coaches having a, a 15 play game plan to go into the like these are, you know, regardless of what gonna, happens, these are the plays we're going to run over our first 15 or 20 plays, right? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you're not getting the ball, you're not getting first downs, I mean, your 15th play may come on your fourth possession. Right. You know, so it's kind of.
1: No, uh, no you're absolutely right. I, I, I used to script the first 10. Yeah. And usually you do that if, if you're, especially if you're like a multi formational team, right? You kind of want to see. Okay, let's see what they do to this motion or this shift or, you know, this particular formation, right? And that kind of gives you an idea of how they're going to defend you. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, I've, I've, I've done it in games where, man, you're through it in a series or two uh, in tougher games. <laughs> you know, it's like you almost, almost have to throw it out because you're saying to yourself, wow, man, I mean, forget the script. Like, we just need to move the ball.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, if you're having a hard time.
0: This is what I had. So each team had one drive in the third quarter of that game. Um, Bedford got the ball to open, had it for about almost five minutes, kicked it away. Exeter had it for the last 7-12 of the quarter. I had them, uh, their time of possession through three quarters, Exeter's, uh, 23 minutes and 29 seconds through three quarters. Yeah. I mean, just, just a ridiculous amount of time. um, you know, and then that, that like I said, that Goffstown-Winnikunit game was kind of similar, too. You had, um, you know, what was, that one had some eeriness to it, too. Um, I, you know, if you remember during the regular season, that game started with Winnikunit kicking off to Goffstown, Goffstown fumbling the kickoff, and Winnikunit yeah, he... recovering and scoring. Whereas yeah. the opposite happened. Goffstown kicked off to Winnikunit, Winnikunit fumbled, Goffstown recovered, and then ended up scoring. Right. Uh, which was just like I said, kind of bizarre. Uh,
1: yeah, I remember thinking the same thing when it happened. It was like, wow, talk about turnaround. Yeah. I mean, literal
0: turnaround. I think – I meant to look this up. I think not not just that, but I think the, the lo- yard line that Goffstown started on was the same one that Winnecunna did back in the regular season game, which is just really – That weird. would be eerie. Yeah. Uh, but the big, yeah. The, the big number coming out of that game, um, you know, Goffstown – Gets a first down on um, their first play from scrimmage. It's a 22-yard run by by Peyton Strickland, and they didn't get another first down until their last drive of the game, uh, late in the fourth quarter. So they wow. went, yeah, they went almost, or that that is, I think what three full quarters without a first down, um, going three and out on every single drive. Um, it was a big field position battle too, and and remarkably you know Goffstown was able to stay in it the fact that it was a 2014 final and they were trying to get recover an onside kick with a couple minutes left with a chance to to tie or take the lead was was honestly remarkable um you know just the way that both defenses played um it was just it was it was huge um and 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 again another another great and entertaining game to watch uh, and then the unfortunate news out of that one was was the injury to Strickland Uh, late in the first quarter, Um, you know, it doesn't look like it was as serious, maybe, as as maybe, you know, you might think when a guy needs to be helped off the field, but still um, just really unfortunate that he was unable to to come back and go in that one. Um, I think it would have been, I mean, it it already wasn't an an interesting game. I think it would have been even more so with him out there.
1: Well, yeah, especially so, you know, I I watched that game too, and um, my impression from what I saw was that it it seemed pretty clear to me that Strickland was going to be a, um, you know, like a keystone element of their game plan on both offense and defense, right? They came right out with Strickland running almost like a wildcat quarterback, right? You know, a wildcat's formation as much as anything, right? I should say more accurately, they put Strickland at quarterback, (laughs) and they were going to use him to run their, their run game, right? Whether it was a little bit of read option stuff back there on the shotgun or just, just direct snap, QB ISO type stuff. And 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 he was getting big chunks of yards. I think I think he scored that first touchdown. I don't yeah, remember yeah. yeah, I don't remember what the the gain was, but it was a pretty good gain too. Like he kinda of gashed the defense. Um well, looks, if I remember correctly. I, or at least there was one good gain on that drive
0: he had um like I said it, the first first one was 22 yards the touchdown was a 12-yard run he finished with yeah. 40, 40 yards rushing uh right. Go, Goffstown had 63 the entire game
1: yeah and, and so if you think about that offensively and then what I saw on defense and it was hard to tell right but they kind of had Strickland as almost like a spy or a rover type of position he was kind of playing like a free safety, but he was walked down, so he was only about a yard or two behind the inside linebackers. And I think he was just running the flow, you know. So they put him in there, I think, to kind of cope with some of the things in the run game that Winnipeg kind of had done in their first matchup, where Winnipeg kind of really just kind of gashed them guard to guard, right? I mean, just straight ahead dives right. out of their their split back offense. You know, Winnicott just couldn't... I mean, Gostown just couldn't deal with that the first time they played. So it looked like they had put Strickland back there almost to play like an extra linebacker or like a spy where where he didn't really have a gap responsibility. He was just going to flow to where the ball went and uh, and just kind of play free defense, right? Which is kind of an interesting thing if you've got a kid that can do that. And certainly I think Strickland's the type of player you can do that with and, and be effective, right? So when he went down... They put um, I forget the, the the name of the wide receiver that they put in that spot, um, but uh, and I don't have a roster, so I, I it, unfortunately I don't remember. But you know they had they had another guy trying to play that position, and he did a right. decent job. But it, it was clear that that game plan was designed around Strickland. Yeah. It was clear that offensively they were going to do a lot more, um, you know, sort of quarterback running with Strickland. Once he went out, they were trying to get um, Duval going, but I think without the, the run threat the, with the quarterback back there who could pull it and, and do things with it, I think without that threat, Winnicott was just all over Duval. I mean, like you said, the, the rushing statistics sort of speak for themselves, right? He, yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't really get anything going, especially after the great week he had against Portsmouth the week before. And then it, I think it made Goffstown, unfortunately, very one dimensional, right. right? I think Winnikonnet has some great athletes and they were able to force Winnikonnet into some, some one dimensional offense where they became very predictable. I really don't think it was the fault of the Goffstown coaching staff. I I think that Winnikonnet has a lot of athletes and they were able to force Goffstown to into situational stuff where they just became very predictable, right? It's, Third and long in the middle of the field, you know, you, you don't have your deep threat, you know, or big body threat guy anymore. Okay, we're going to run a screen or first down. Hey, we got to try to get something going here. We're going to give it to Duval. It, it just, I think, I think that they got into trouble with, um, with Winikin forcing some situations down in distance wise, well, and it, and yeah, it the, didn't help them offensively.
0: The other thing too, um, you know, you mentioned, yeah, the the, the passing game was was almost. As as non-existent early as the running game, um, you know. in the, In the second half, Goffstown had eight carries for nine yards. In the first half, they were two of five passing for two yards. Uh, yeah. You know, there there were quite a few completions where they were trying stuff out. You know, I, you know a lot of the the throws they like to make are kind of shorter throws where a guy you know breaks a tackle and is you know picks up yards that way. And yep. they just they you know Winnacunnet kind of was was. On them and ta- like their tackling was very, um, it was really great on Friday night. So there were a lot of times where guys would catch the ball and they'd end up losing yardage, uh, just right, because they could never get going. Um, you know, and you mentioned the defense, uh, Goffstown defense too. And there was one unfortunate play, uh, you know, right before Strickland got hurt where he recovered a fumble, um, on the far sideline. I couldn't see it all that well, but someone told me afterwards that the ball just bounced right up to him and he just couldn't get a good handle on it. And if he had, he could have returned it possibly for a touchdown. Uh, yeah. You know, which again, that, that then makes it a 14 a nothing game in the first quarter. Um, yeah. So and probably, a huge um,
1: momentum. Yeah, um, I mean, you already had your, your momentum kind of squashed right out of the gate with the, the uh, kickoff fumble recovery and then converting that series to an immediate touchdown. I mean, that happens, and it's fourteen nothing, and it's fourteen nothing like that. That could have been a very yeah. different game.
0: Yeah, very much.
1: Um, Winneconnet, though, you know, and and the Winneconnet folks will hate me saying this, and the Exeter <laughs> folks will hate me saying this, because they're rivals. But those two teams are so similar in terms of their their discipline and their styles. I mean, the Exeter offense doesn't look like the Winneconnet offense, right? The Winneconnet offense is two running backs, and they use some wide receivers and. They don't, they don't use the same kind of blocking schemes and stuff, but the effect is basically the same. Right. Right? They, they have really good backs. Their offensive line comes off the ball incredibly well, and they can just grind you and chew clock and really kind of demoralize you three and four yards at a time if they want to, you know?
0: They don't have a lot of negative plays. There's not no. a lot of, you know, minus five or minus two or minus, you know, they're, they're not, you know, behind the sticks very often. Um, no. No. You know, and and I forget
1: the, the, the quarterback's name for Winnipeg And again, uh, I, I don't have a roster, so it, Kyle, it, it's Kyle a
0: little Taylor.
1: frustrating to, tr- to remember so many things about the game, but not have the poor kid's name in my mind. But, uh, you know, he's a good quarterback. I yeah, mean, yeah. they may run the ball 75% of the time, but when it's time to throw the ball, he's as yeah. good as anybody. You no, he's a, he's a know, uh, he's a dangerous player both in the run game and in the, uh, in the
0: passing game. I would say that for, for both quarterbacks. Um, it's it's Ky- Kyle Tilley at Winniconant and he's been, uh, you know, a multi-year starter there. Uh, and then at Exeter, um, it, you know, Evan Pafford, he actually threw two, two touchdowns in overtime uh, right. for Exeter. Um, you know, and, and I believe he got inserted into the starting lineup uh, back in the Bedford game in the regular season um so he's only been the starter for a couple of weeks but you know he he looks like he's been out there running the offense for for quite a while um so yeah both definitely two two quarterbacks there and in, in run heavy offenses that can um you know they can do damage with their arms so that yeah that that game is going to be uh I, you know a, a really I think it's going to be a low scoring I mean it was a low scoring one in the regular season that that went kind of uh 14-7 um, right you know, with one of those, you know, I think it was a, a drive that took up like nine minutes in the third quarter. Was was you know what uh, how when it kind of got the the game winning touchdown, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. But I mean that that game could be over in like an hour and and you know fifteen twenty minutes. You know if they're if they're both <laughs> eating up clock.
1: hey maybe you can make that three <laughs> o'clock game if you end up going oh, there yeah,
0: from from <laughs> Ham, from Hampton to to <laughs> Lebanon. Yeah, that may
1: Hampton to Lebanon probably not, but you know. <laughs>
0: I get a police escort, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I um. I think both of these semifinal games are going to be really good in Division One. Um, like we said, Exeter Winnicott at one o'clock Saturday, Salem Londonderry also one o'clock on Saturday. So if you figured out how to be in two places at once, please let me know because I would like to be. Um, actually, yeah, I, and I they're we... really,
1: really two dream matchups too, right? Because Salem and and Londonderry are are ancient rivals right i mean not not like londonderry pinkerton right but i mean that goes all the way back to the old division one days you know i mean going all the way back to the 90s and stuff right in fact there was one point god i'm dating myself now but like in the (laughs) mid 90s where londonderry and salem both dropped down to division two for a couple years but they were still you know but it was both of them together dropping down so they still played each other so and they're sort of geographically close enough to be considered rivals, right? So that's a good game. And then, you know, I mean, I don't need to say anything about Winnicott and Exeter. I mean, we've <laughs> that that's about as awesome a uh, a second round matchup as you could get. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, so, uh, changing gears a little bit, um, Division Two, we also had uh, quarterfinal games this past weekend. You got made it out to uh, Plymouth and and Milford out in Milford. Uh, with the Spartans winning that one, um, just what were your kind of impressions of of that one?
1: Yeah, you know it was a great game. It really felt like kind of an old school high school football game right I, I know that sounds weird to say right but but you know if you think about uh, the fact that it was you know it was in the afternoon, it was two teams that sort of pride themselves on old school tough defense and and a run first type of offense you know they're they're both under center. Um, it, it, it just felt kind of like, like a back in the day type of game. And I mean that like in a, in a fun way, right? Not in a just slog it out kind of boring sort of way, right? It was anything but a boring game, but it was, it was a lot of fun because both of the teams had that sort of toughness first mentality going on. Um, but it was a lot of fun, right? I mean, the tone was set right out of the gate with, uh, Milford's first play from scrimmage was, was, uh sort of a sweep around the right end to Caden um, Zielinski, who's not really a back that you would think of as a, as a guy you want to get out on the edge. right? I mean, he's kind of a big dude. I right. think he goes 220, 230. Um, I mean, he's got good feet, don't get me wrong, but you, know, you, you think of him as more of an inside-the-tackles runner. Well, the, Milford's first play from scrimmage was they got him out on the edge, and they faked a reverse to a wide receiver they had lined up out there. And it completely fooled the cornerback, who was really the only guy there that could have contained the sweep. I mean, he just—he just sort of the Plymouth corner just fell down. He mm-hmm. was so faked out by it. <laughs> and Zelensky just went, you know, 51 yards untouched for the opening score. That was after, uh, you know, Milford has had sort of slowed Plymouth's opening drive down. And then from there, it became, quite frankly, the Chuck Erda show. Uh huh. I mean, uh, I think he scored every one of the team's touchdowns following that. Uh, and he scored them in a variety of different ways. Uh, he also had an interception. You know, Plymouth was driving. Uh, I'm trying to remember when it was, but Plymouth, put a, Plymouth had put a number of good drives together. Um, and at one point, Plymouth had driven down, uh, I think it was towards the end of the half, and... Um, and Plymouth had driven down to, like, maybe the, the 12 or 13-yard line, um, and they they threw one up into the end zone, and, you know, Chuck Erda intercepted it, and that was how the half ended, you know, at 14-7. So, um, you know, but Plymouth didn't have their – I mean, Plymouth had their share of really good stuff on display as well, right? I mean, they did a really good job of mixing the ball around to different guys, but – the the guy that was probably the the key to the whole thing for Plymouth was Anthony Ciotti, who's their fullback. He's been a key runner for them all year, but it was almost like Milford was geared up to stop the, the off tackle and the outside stuff. And Plymouth, Plymouth was just going to Plymouth, right? They were going to take whatever Milford was going to give. And they were very content to just pound Ciotti up the middle on traps and power play type stuff. And he was getting big chunks of yardage. Um, and the only reason that that stuff got slowed down was if Plymouth made a mistake, you know, had a penalty or, um, you know, there was a, you know, like I was mentioned, like a turnover or what have you, right? Right. And, uh, and they had to get out of that, or they had to get out of that, right? They were behind the chains and, you know, a, a fullback dive to Ciotti wasn't really what you wanted to call on third and eight or something, right? And that's where they got into trouble, it seemed.
0: Well, I, you know, one thing that I, I mean, we haven't mentioned, um, so with Plymouth losing, that's the first time I think in what, six years, five years that they're not going to be in the, uh, in the championship game. Uh, of course they'd, yeah, I think five, yeah, first time, oh, this is, I shouldn't have, I should have figured this out beforehand. Uh, what, 2015, I think was the last time or maybe, yeah, 2015, I think the last time that they were not in the final, um, so that's a big, big change there for Division Two. Um,
1: yeah, and, it, and I think we were mentioning some of this uh, in last week's show when we were talking about this game. But I don't remember Milford ever beating Plymouth in the playoffs.
0: Oh, definitely not in the definitely not in the playoffs. I I don't know. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you when the last time at all was. Um, not not since I've been. I mean, I've been. You know, I started working at the cabinet. Uh, Milford cabinet in what 2005 and since then I don't think Milford's had a win I, I, I remember covering a regular season game uh, at Milford between the two I want to say in 2006 that was close that uh, Milford might have even had a lead in the second half but um, I don't yeah I don't recall them ever beating Plymouth in that time
1: It, it, it's it was a little it was it was really fun to watch. It's a little scary seeing, um, yet another dual threat quarterback in, in this time in Chuck Erda sort of emerging for Milford, right? I mean, I think I think he's had a good season this year, but to put you know to score four times and he really scored in multiple ways, right? I mean, he scored kind of pulling the ball and running it out of the shotgun. He he scored running a triple option play from under center out of the eye formation, just keeping it himself and running. He ran right up the middle out of the shotgun once from like 20 yards out and scored a touchdown that got called back or, and, and then they just, they just gave him the ball again on the, 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 the exact same play next play. And he scored again anyway, mm. or you know, it was like maybe from 15 yards out. and The second one was from 20 or something like that. Right. But I mean, he started to look like, um, like Gavin Erda did when Gavin first came onto the scene and he had all that speed and teams had a hard time coping with him until they started to figure out how you had to game plan against him. Right. And right. some of those things, I don't know that Chuck Erda has, had had a game, a signature game like that this season, but you know, he's only a junior. Um, and there's a number of skill position players on that Milford team and, and offensive and defensive linemen that are younger guys. Um, so that that's a team that, you know, I know they've got a um, a tall order this week going up to Lebanon, but um, it was an impressive win for them, yeah. especially against the Plymouth team that no matter what their record, no matter, uh, you know, what kind of momentum they have or haven't had coming into the end of the season, and we talked about that last week, you know, Plymouth is the furthest thing from an easy out in the playoffs that you get in the state of New Hampshire.
0: Oh, I mean, that yeah, that had to be when you see saw that matchup come out for, for Milford, you you. Just your initial reaction probably has to be, oh, come on. Yeah,
1: that's not what you want to draw around. <laughs> you know, we
0: finally get it. We get a home playoff game here, and we're rolling. And and here comes Plymouth. Right. Uh, but yeah, you, like you mentioned, um, they now get to go up to uh, Lebanon for a three o'clock kickoff Saturday in the semifinals. Uh, Lebanon with a uh, forty-seven to twenty win over Sauhegan, which at one point in the second half, uh, I don't know if you saw this. I I was, you know. When I put my updates on Twitter, I, I'll try to go through and, and, and retweet as many other things as I can see. Um, you know, it was a 27 to 6 game at halftime, and then Sauhegan got a couple touchdowns to open the third quarter, and all of a sudden it was 27 to 20. Um, you know, they had a, uh, uh long touchdown pass from Romy Jane to Tony Garant, and then a 76 uh, yard touchdown run by J.J. Bright to, um, you know, to get back into that game, and uh, from from what I was reading here on a, a couple different accounts, was that uh, Le- Lebanon fans started to get a little a uh, little antsy there, um, you know, as to as to this the score there. But then they were able to to come back and uh, score the last what twenty points of that game to uh, to win kind of comfortably. Um, and you know this this game with Milford, uh, you know, it they played what week three I want to say. Of the regular season? Yeah. Um, in a that game, was mid-September. Mid-September in a game that, um, you know, I went to and honestly was a lot closer than it really felt. Um, you know, I, I think we talked about this at the time. Um, you know, Milford's two touchdowns in that game. One came on a, a short field following a fumble. And the other one, um, Lebanon had four uh, 15-yard penalties on that on the drive to keep it going. Um, you know, they didn't kind of wake up until like about five minutes were left in the game and they scored a couple touchdowns to, to pull away. Um, but I mean, that was, that was basically a season ago. Um, so I think, you know, I think this one might be another close one on the scoreboard, but maybe in a different way than what that regular season game was.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I said to you, um, after, after seeing that game on, um, on YouTube, right? I think it was it was uploaded by by some broadcaster, um, and and I said the same thing. I actually had a chance to talk to Coach Ricard before the game over in Milford, uh, who's an old friend of mine. I used to coach with him for many years, and I, and I said, hey, you know, I said, saw the Lebanon game. I said, you know, I I, I thought you guys had a chance to win that game. It, it was just a matter of you guys didn't tackle your best that night, right? And I think I mentioned that to you. That was my impression of the game yeah, as well, yeah, right? So, yeah. I, I thought you know, they, I thought they matched up well against each other. I just thought that for whatever reason, the Milford defense didn't tackle well that night. It wasn't necessarily Lebanon doing special stuff, right? And they're a special team, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't like Lebanon was, was just owning them in the trenches or making great blocks on the perimeter or the left backs were really shifty and just couldn't be brought down. I mean, it was just, honestly, the Milford kids weren't doing a good job tackling. They were, they were diving at legs and ankles instead of bodying kids up or they weren't wrapping up. And that was my impression that that could be a really close matchup. Um, Milford's got to bring its a game in tackling though because they're just too talented otherwise.
0: The one thing that I thought um, you know there was a little bit of a difference between the teams was just speed. I thought Lebanon had a couple of guys who just had a, that kind of game breaking speed that um, I'm not sure that, that Milford had a match for. Um, so, I mean, that, that, yeah, and that, I think, was what kind of separated them late in the game, um, you know, was just that, that, uh, you know, just kind of able to, ability to break away, um, but, you know, I, I think you're, you know, the, the tackling is probably a part of that as well, you know, maybe there were a couple of, uh, I, I mean, you know, we're talking about a game that happened, what, two months ago, so, I'm lucky I remember two weeks ago, so, <laughs> at this point in the year, um, so, lucky right I remember here. what
1: I had for breakfast this morning, <laughs> so don't worry about it. Uh um well, well and and also just to mention right we had talked earlier today in the in the show about you know teams going home early and things right like i'm sure that coach Baquette and the sabers didn't feel great about losing that one um but honestly sauhegan is a young talented team yeah, yeah. It, it's almost hard to feel bad for them i mean obviously you feel bad for the seniors but
0: i think they I mean they've got only... a,
1: they've got one or two maybe even three good years ahead of them yeah yeah um you know i was sitting with a coach from another division two team who had played Sauhegan earlier in the year um and and his comment to me pregame, you know as i was kind of looking at twitter and saying hey i gotta make sure i'm keeping on top of all these other scores here he said if any team can hang with them it's probably Sauhegan because they have the ability to to score quick yeah um and so you know you're doing that with a freshman quarterback a a really young runner in J.J. Bright. They've got a couple of uh, young receivers. Um, You know, again, I'm sure it's no consolation, but it's hard to feel bad for Salhegan when you know darn well they've got a bright future ahead of them.
0: Yeah. um, It'll be interesting to see what they do over the next couple of years. Um, You know, on the the other side of the division, um, you know, two kind of, Two games that were played Friday night, both kind of, um, at least the final scores look a little bit more one-sided. But, you know, looking a little bit closer at that, um, that Hanover-St. Thomas game uh, that St. Thomas won 21 to nothing, um, that game was scoreless at halftime, uh, surprisingly. Um, you know, and then St. Thomas gets, uh, scores three times in the second half, um, you know, getting all the points they'd need. It was a, a Michael uh one-yard quarterback sneak. With about eight minutes to go in the third quarter, that got them the lead in that one. Uh, but that was kind of a, you know, I, I thought that one had the potential to be a little bit of a closer game, a closer final score, um, I should say. And then uh, St. Thomas will play Timberline in the semifinals again, one o'clock on Saturday. Uh, Timberline beat Guilford Belmont forty-two to six in that one, and that was uh, what. Um, oh, I, again, I don't have the young man's name in front of me uh, Don Perella who had what five touchdowns in that win for for Timberline? yeah
1: yeah I've seen him once or twice on film this year he's a good ball carrier um, rugged fast um, you know that that was that was one of the tougher matchups I think in division two you know I mean Gilbert Belmont's a really good team. But that's, you know, that's a tough draw to play Timberlane first, especially the way Timberlane's been playing this year um, and, and, and the physicality that Timberlane has, right? What I've noticed in the rare one or two times that I've seen Timberlane this year is that they're really, really good in the trenches on both sides of the ball, and they've got backs that run hard. Um, they have a good, relatively dual-threat quarterback, very hard to defend
0: you know kind of interesting the way this one breaks down oh, of course they they played each other uh first game of the regular season uh Timberline and St. Yeah. Thomas did with Timberline winning uh 43 to nothing. Um, kind of interesting though to me that that it breaks down as the top two teams from the east playing in one semifinal and the top two teams from the west playing in the other semifinal. Um Yeah. So, you know, you you have the conference split where you know, we're they break up, and this team goes here, and this team goes there, and and meanwhile, you've got uh, you know, the the those four teams are are now uh, playing with a right to go to the championship game. Just kind of funny how how that all works out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are those those are the Division Two semifinals. We've got championship games this weekend in uh, Divisions Three and Four. Um, in Division Three, it'll be uh, Trinity. And Pelham playing at one o'clock on Saturday, uh, at Bedford High School. Um, you know, kind of, kind of neat that those teams will get to play there. I think. Um, you know, kind of a, I, I mean Bedford's Bedford is, a, a, I think, a great place to watch uh, any any game really. Um, you know, just the way that the the stands and the stadium are kind of set up there. You know, with the one side on the hill overlooking the the field. Um, I don't know. I enjoy going there to watch games, so I think that that and um, I don't know what to think about that one. I mean, it's going to be an interesting one, you know. Trinity, um, you know, bounced back from their first loss of the year with that thirty-three to eight win over Campbell uh, last Saturday. Um, you know, probably one of their more impressive wins of the year, I think. Um, you know, they they'd only beaten Campbell fourteen to nothing during the regular season, uh, and then Pelham did what uh, you know, maybe what we kind of expected Pelham to do there, just kind of running over Kearsarge. And what was the final? That 46-6, to I believe. Um, You know, and, 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 you know, hats off to Kearsarge for, you know, what is a a tremendous season. I mean, you're talking about a program there that, um, you know, didn't play last year. um, And then in the two previous years before that had really struggled. Um, You know, I think they're what, they got to six wins this year. I think that's more than maybe they had in the previous three or four years combined. Yeah. Um, so just a tremendous job there. Um, you know, I like I said, I went up there uh, early October for a game, and it was, you know, another fun place to watch a game, It you know, um, kind of in the middle of nowhere, which was uh, a little, you know, I got off the off of 89 going up there and was like, am I headed in the right direction here? Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just, um, you know, a, a, a tremendous job that they've, they've done up there and, and, uh, hopefully they can kind of carry that momentum into next season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it sets up, you know, what I think is probably the matchup that I expected, you know, kind of by the time mid season, it's sort of, right. yeah. Yeah. you know, falling into place and stuff. I think there were a lot of contenders in division three, but, I, you know, my impression was always that, I mean, obviously Pelham was the top dog, but my impression was always kind of that if anybody was going to rise up to meet um, the challenge and had a chance, it was going to be probably Trinity. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I think there's a couple other good teams that would have loved to have that shot, but I think I think this is the best chance you've got for a, for a good competitive game.
0: I, I'd agree with that. And, um, you know, it's... Um... Yeah, you know, it's really too bad that the game is, is scheduled for one o'clock on Saturday at the same time. I mean, we, we've got six playoff games this Saturday and five of them are scheduled to start at the same time uh, yeah. in five different, er- well, in six different locations for all of the games. I, and it's, I, I mean, it's frustrating, um, you know, from my perspective. I understand, you know, the people from Pelham, people from Trinity, they don't care about Division 1, you know, what's going on with Londonderry and Salem, just like Londonderry and Salem probably doesn't care what's going on with, with you know. But, you know, from someone from my perspective and from a couple of other, you know, other media outlets around the state that, that you know, try to cover as many games as they can, you know, this is a, a championship game that, um, you know, if I, as of right now, um, there's not going to be much on the site, you know. Same with Division 4. There's not going to be much on the site come next week because, You know, I can't be in more than one place at a time.
1: Um, Yeah, but I'd say even from a fan perspective, right? I mean, I would have loved, you know, I was very happy. Well, I don't really know what good it did for fans, right? But at first, when the um, Milford-Plymouth game got moved to three, I was like, oh, well, maybe I can go to, you know, a a local game, you know, the the Exeter-Bedford game at Bedford and then shoot over. Then it's like, you're not going to do that. You're never going to make it, right? I mean, right, right. And and especially if the game had been a good game like it was, you know, going into overtime and stuff. I mean it's not like you're gonna be cutting out of there early or something, right? So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know, Joe. It's a it, it is kind of frustrating. I, I like, for example, that they're doing the championships at these sort of nice venue neutral site type places this coming weekend. I would have liked it more if they were both at the same site and right. staggered start times. Yeah, yeah. Right, no. that would have been really cool, right? Kinda of like the UNH deal, but I, obviously we're not at UNH, but same type of thing, right? You have a noon game and then maybe uh you know, a three o'clock game for the division four game or or vice versa, whatever you wanted to do, right? But no. No. It's not meant to be, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess yeah, just uh I should say uh apologies to the uh the teams playing in the five games that I don't go to this weekend. That that uh I, I hope you accept that apology. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, so yeah, that's the division three game, one o'clock kickoff Saturday at Bedford high school. Um, you know, we can't, we can't finish the show without talking about the, what was probably the, the, uh, upset of the weekend, uh, without any question, um, because I sure did not see this one coming. Um, and I think you're, you're, you'd probably agree with me there. Actually, I know you'd agree with me because we both picked Newport to win that game, um, Against Fall Mountain, but uh, Fall Mountain comes out with a a twenty-one to six win over uh, Newport in the Division Four semifinals on Saturday. Um, you know, and, and that was one I I, I saw again checking Twitter. Um, I saw it was six six at halftime, and my my you know eyebrows kind of went raised, and was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then seeing it was fourteen to six later on in the third quarter, like, holy wow, this is. This is getting for real. Um, yeah. Just uh, an absolutely tremendous job by, uh, by Fall Mountain there uh, pulling out that win. Um, I believe all three touchdowns, uh, if I'm not mis- mistaken, were rushing scores by uh, Fall Mountain quarterback uh, Luke Gay, who had over 100 yards rushing or had 100 yards rushing. Um, so a huge game for him. And um, I think that's what uh, the second-ever playoff win for, for Fall Mountain um, after the one a couple of years ago that got them into the, the division four final.
1: Yeah, I, I think you might be right. And it, it was a big day for, um, as you mentioned, uh, um, what is the name? escaping me now Luke gay. It was also uh, a, a big day for, you know, talk about almost being a one man wrecking crew on defense. Uh, I did, I, I did my homework on this game. Obviously I didn't see it cause I, I was at another location, right, right. but, uh, you know, I've been singing Newport's praises since last season, really, right? Just just about the type of team they have, the way they carry themselves, you know, the talent that they have. But um, defensive lineman Quinn Healy had 12 tackles, two sacks, and forced three turnovers <laughs> in that game, Incredible. all by himself.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, in this day and age of uh, of defense, you know, I, I remember back in the day, right, You you'd have sometimes like your your stud inside linebacker would have 12 to 15 tackles or something, right? And that was like a big day. You don't see that anymore because of the way that teams, I think in in the more modern age, are better at distributing the ball, right? There's not just like one running back who's going to get the ball 20 times a game in most games, right? Like you got two or three receivers, you'll spread it out to a couple backs. The quarterback's usually good at running it. But for a defensive lineman to have 12 tackles, two sacks, and three forced turnovers. That's got to be one of the defensive per- individual defensive performances of the year.
0: Absolutely, yeah, without a doubt. So I mean, it's just, it, an incredible performance, yeah. Especially yeah, some, you know, I mean,
1: it, and, and I mean, it sounds like that set the tone for the game, right? It, you know, it's, it, it you know, I, I think Coach Binney was quoted, um, you know, in an article that I read saying, you know, it really was a situation where we think maybe our, our David and Goliath underdog position really paid off, um, you know, and, and and that the kids rose to the occasion, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go back and they lost to Newport um, at the end of September, 35 to nothing, um, you know, and that kind of raises the – you know, you, you kind of have to wonder too. I mean, now they get uh, a Summersworth team that um, – you know, they that has now beaten Epping Newmarket two weeks in a row. They beat him to end the regular season and then beat him again in the semis last week. Um, so that's uh the division four final, Fall Mountain versus Summersworth. One o'clock kickoff Saturday at, at up at Laconia. Uh, but but Summersworth won their regular season meeting with Fall Mountain thirty four to six. So you say, Oh, well, what's gonna happen in this game? And I would say I really have no idea. Um, because I I was completely wrong about last week's game. Uh, and you, I guess, you know, that's the, the beauty of high school sports sometimes I think is you think you, you know, you know, what's going to happen and, and maybe 90% of the time it does. Uh, but that 10% is, uh, you know, makes, um, it makes for a lot of fun. Well, I guess depending depending on which team you are.
1: You know, the, the, the growth of the team and it's the adjustments that get made, right? Like I, I, think coach Binney had said, Hey, you know, we've made some personnel adjustments, sense those those earlier matchups right in terms of who's playing where and what role different kids are in and things like that i mean again you get that figured out you can be a completely different team at this time of year right especially coming off a win like that right the question for fall mountain now will be can they compartmentalize the excitement and 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 you know all that about having that big upset win and really refocus um for the championship game, I, you know, my guess would be yes, but high school kids being who they are, um, you know, that that's an interesting story there as well.
0: You know, and they're, they're not going to have, I don't think the benefit of, of maybe, I'm not to say that I, I, I don't think in any regards was maybe Newport looking past fall mountain. Maybe, you know, there, there's a, there's always that, you know, Oh, we beat this team where we should beat them again, that kind of piece to it. Summersworth, I don't think, is going to have that. I mean, you're talking about two teams in Summersworth and Fall Mountain that are the runners-up in Division Four from the last two years. Um, so Summersworth is just as hungry for this, I think, as, as probably Fall Mountain. I mean, they, they must be. Um,
1: yeah. You know, yeah, I, I don't know that Newport would have overlooked them. I know Coach Proper um, was quoted as basically saying, I don't think being undefeated helped us today. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in other words, kind of meaning like, hey, Fall Mountain came in, they had nothing to lose we came in, you know, we haven't really experienced a lot of adversity this year, and when we got punched in the mouth. Now, this is this is not a quote from him. It's just kind of what right, I read right, into
0: that. What, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, hey, we got punched in the mouth, and we because we hadn't had that adversity through the year, it might not have helped us too much. And so, um, so yeah, anything is possible, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, uh, so I think we. Uh... I think we. I hope we've gotten you ready for uh, for some of these uh, semifinal and, and championship games uh, coming up this weekend.
1: Um, i I'm, Yeah, how can you not be ready? <laughs> Great
0: matchups ready. coming yeah, up. I'm. I'm ready. Yeah. I, I, that's always the. That's always the tough part about this time of year. You know, Sunday was uh, was the last uh, championship games for all the other sports. Um, girls' soccer's finished up on Sunday, and uh, you know now we're sitting here. It's like there's nothing else. No other, you know, high school sports going on until Saturday with these football games. It's like just kind of you're kind of sitting here just waiting, at least for, you know, from from where I am. Um, You know, there's no other sports to do. So I'm just, you know, looking over these games. What's possible? What's possibly going to happen here? What's going to happen there? And you just kind of, you know, by the time you get to Friday, it's like, you know, you're just on overload of this. It's like, oh, just let's play the game already.
1: It's kinda of, well, I'm sure the players and coaches oh, yeah, feel that way. Too, but it's kinda cool because yeah, it yeah. does put the spotlight completely on football to sort of end the fall. Right. And right. and I think that's kind of fun, right? It's like you you really get a, a big focus on those those last couple weeks of the football season and uh and, and I think it's great.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, any other final thoughts before we wrap up for the week?
1: No, I, I would just say to anybody out there, listen, you know, whichever game you go to, have fun. Um, it, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's like we've always said, it, 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 it comes very quickly and the season goes very quickly. And there's a lot of good teams that are going to be playing their last football uh, game this weekend, unfortunately. Very good teams. So enjoy the games and uh, have a lot of fun with it. Support whatever, you're, whatever team you're out there to support and just, uh, just take it all in. It's a lot of fun.
0: You know, and um, what, uh, on a, in a non-football note here, um, there may not be any other games this week, but actually this Wednesday is, uh, is a big day for everyone who isn't uh, who doesn't play football, uh, as it is uh, signing day uh, for all of the kids who have committed to play sports in college. That's um, right. So if anyone, anyone out there listening to this, if you are planning on signing your, your letter of intent uh, Wednesday or, or any time thereafter, um, you know, please reach out, uh, let us know. Last year, uh, we posted a, uh, you know, big file on the site, um, kind of running throughout the winter of, you know, everyone that, that got, got in touch with us with a photo, uh, and some information on, on where you're going to school, what you're going to be playing. Um, so feel free to do that, whether it's on Twitter, uh, like I said, at NHHS sports, uh, or an email probably, probably would work better. Uh, NH high school sports at gmail.com. So, yeah, let us know um, because we definitely want to get that out there. Uh, All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, Mike, thanks again for for, uh, chatting about some football.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. It's been fun.
0: He's Mike Lockman. I'm Joe Marcholina. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.